0: As with many things in the music space, technology and human creativity have spurred the rapid rise of podcasting, but there's no standard for licensing music for podcasts, and thus artists and labels are not necessarily getting paid when their music is used. Welcome to The Future of What? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, President of the Music Business Association. On today's episode, we talk about what might be on the horizon in licensing music for podcasts. It's all coming up on the future of what?
1: Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lift the crumbs from your table? Can I
2: interfere in your crisis? No, mind your own business. No, mind your own business.
0: You're listening to the future of what? I'm talking to Jim Griffin. Jim, welcome to the future of
3: what? Thanks for having me. I love talking about the future of music.
0: Yes, me too. Good marriage here. So today we are talking about podcasting, which has exploded into our world and into the music space in particular, partially through the fact that there's a lot of licensing of music that goes on or should go on, which we can talk about. And also partially because uh, big players like Spotify have really gotten into the podcasting game in a significant way. So... Let's just start talking about it. Lay it on us.
3: It seems like yesterday, but it was 15 years ago. (laughs) That's when the iPod shipped and podcasts started arriving.
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, you've been doing a lot of thinking about podcasting.
3: I have. Licensing is very important to me. Artists should be paid. Music should be licensed.
0: And how should we treat this as an industry? Because as far as I can tell, at the moment, we don't have an industry standard.
3: Well, first of all, treating anything like this as an industry is fraught with issues, and especially antitrust. I say that because whenever a group of businesses, small and large, aggregate to set the price terms and conditions of a license, they are subject to severe competition scrutiny, as well they should.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, The answer to that problem is statutory licensing. It's why webcasting, for example, doesn't face competition's problems because statutes, acts of Congress, eat the sin of antitrust.
0: Right. So how close do you think we are to a statutory license for the podcasting realm?
3: Well, ordinarily, I'd say we're quite close. And I say that because the very same content, I mean literally the same sound, same words, same utterances are licensed when they come in the form of a webcast or if, for example, they are on radio. And it's important to mention that because one of the industry groups that most wants podcast licensing for itself is the radio industry. And they're pushing hard. They know that podcasting, like webcasting before it, is their competition and they want to be involved. They want to offer their content as podcasts. And yet, there is no licensing that could make that possible, at least right now.
0: Hmm. This seems like a a challenge for the music industry.
3: Well, and an opportunity, I'd say, because if you have the deep pockets that the radio industry has and the organization that the radio industry has around the National Association of Broadcasters, which is surely one of the most powerful lobbies in Washington, D.C. and around the world, You certainly have an opportunity to put together a plan that will deliver a great deal of money and exposure. I mean, we can debate which one's more important, but we need them both. We need the money that comes from licensing and the exposure for our music.
0: You know, podcasts are across the board at this point, right? They're not just in the music world. But do you think that the music world needs to take the initiative towards lobbying for a blanket license, for a statutory license, for podcasting?
3: Well, I'm not sure there's the unanimity of desire to do so. And this is the part that concerns me the most. And I say that not because I'm such a huge fan of podcasting, and I hope that they do it, and I hope that there's a lot of licensing, although all of those things are true. But because I look into the future, and you say future of what? And so every new media form that comes along We should aggressively pursue it with licensing. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't wait 15 years to have a podcast to talk about licensing podcasts. (laughs) We need to act with more alacrity and agility.
0: Right. Well, that has never been the watchword of the music industry, unfortunately.
3: But that is the problem. We need to be seen as open for business and ready to license. Mm. And yet, all too often, we're not. And I I refer to this generically as Tarzan economics.
0: Tarzan economics?
3: Yeah, because we cling to this vine that keeps us off the jungle floor, which are the old business models. And yet, our progress, our ability to move forward as an industry largely depends upon our ability to grab the next vine and then let go of the old vine that would propel us forward. But, But we're really stuck clinging to the old vine and never... So much as we are with podcasting. And I say that because I know industry attorneys and I know their argument against this. And essentially to them, there is little difference between a podcast and a download of a song or a sound recording. And I say that because for them, it's a term of art, a digital phono record delivery. The digits that constitute a phono record are moving from point A to point B. Now, when we're dealing with streaming, the intention of the sender is that the digits be used in the time and place in which they're offered. But if the receiver records them, they become effectively a digital phono record delivery. And oddly, if the receiver downloads a song and deletes it immediately, it actually behaved more like a stream than did the song that was streamed and recorded. It really does come down to the intentions of the sender and the actual behavior of the receiver. And neither of those are measurable externally. And so we end up in a quandary, largely because of this technical description of what it is that's being offered. The service ends up being indistinguishable from the product, at least from a legal standpoint. Now, to the average person, the difference is, is easy to figure out and easy to understand. And ultimately, our response to it needs to be clear We need to eliminate people's desire to have the sound recording at all by making them highly available on demand. And that's what happens when you license properly. You destroy people's motive to have and hold the music at all, knowing that they can get it whenever they want it, returning over and over and over again and offering us more value in the relationship between users and and music.
0: And isn't that what streaming has already sort of provided for the marketplace?
3: Oh, it has. In other words, it's demonstrably what I'm saying. But again, I started saying it before there was streaming, you know, (laughs) and we were very reluctant to stream for many of the same reasons that podcasts are suffering.
0: Where do you think we're going to go with this in the future then? I mean, podcasts are certainly not going away anytime soon.
3: Look, I agree with you, and and I'm alarmed in some ways because we've really sent the message that you can build a new medium without music. Right. That you can follow the law and just not use it if that's how they want to be. And you can nonetheless succeed. And that is a frightening conclusion because I would have said, oh, no, I don't think you can get there without music. And some have used music in various ways. And many absurdities have arisen. For example, there can be podcasts where people talk about the music of a band like R.E.M. without playing the music of the band, (laughs) (laughs) R.E.M. And you might say, well, that's just never going to work. And it it does somehow work. It's suboptimal, but it proves that you actually don't need to license music in order to have a good discussion about music and so forth. And I think that's the wrong message to send, ironically. I, I think we absolutely want them to have the music, to use the music, to pay for the music, to expose it to the audience. And there's more issues involved. For example, I would think we would want proper attribution, and that's the kind of deal we can make when we really do a license. Right. I used to negotiate contracts in the journalism industry, and you know, the, we always had this saying, which was, deal you reach in agreement is always better than the deal that's imposed upon you by circumstances or whatever. Right. And really, we're living with the deal that's imposed upon us
2: Absolutely.
3: instead of the deal we wish to agree to, right. which is that we get paid and that there'd be proper attribution and there'd be rules. And by the way, if we did propose a license, we could put rules on it that said things like you can only use half the song or you have to talk over the beginning and the end of it or, you know, essentially rules that put a fence or a barrier around the difference between a sound recording that is podcast and one that is purchased discreetly or used in a streaming service. But we don't play the game, so we don't make the rules. It's kind of like the Pope in birth control, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're really not not involved, unfortunately. Otherwise we could make a difference. Right. And by the way, we have to admit that there's some good news on the horizon. You know, Sound Exchange, Mike Hubby's organization is terrific, and they have recognized this unrealized potential, and they're coming forward with a plan in conjunction with a business partner that they have. And we'll see where it goes. I'm very, very optimistic about this. You can read about it at podcastmusic.com and at soundexchange.com. But, you know, this is where the real conundrum comes up. And I'll just go into it quickly, which is that you want to have a blanket license that enables everything because you really don't know what people need to use. And they often need to use it on very, very short notice and so forth. And so you, you want to make that available. And if you actually have to ask permission and so forth, it takes so much time and money, especially when attorneys cost $500 an hour and you need a pair of them at least to paper the deal that it simply doesn't happen. And so the goal here is to make it possible to use anything. And and when I say anything, you might think, oh, no, you don't have to do that. Well, if you want radio's money, you do. If you want the latest hit music, if you want radio to be able to be turned into a podcast, that same broadcaster who webcasts their signal already, if they're to take that one-hour, two-hour, three-hour show off the soundboard and put it on a USB key and carry it over to the server and make it available, it has to be any music and it has to be able to be hit music because that's what radio plays. They can't take the time to clear every track every day.
0: No, of course, they can't
3: right. It's impractical. Yeah. it won't happen. It's inefficient. And so then we leave that money on the table and that exposure on the table, right, and we encourage pirates and others and and they're not even really pirates. I hate to say it because they have a pretty good legal defense that they're not breaking any laws when they record these webcasts, right. So you know we need to do something affirmatively that moves us forward instead of engage in what I call blanket resistance to licensing instead of blanket license
0: right you know. The other side of this is it's one thing when we're talking about big companies that are putting out podcasts, you know, when we think about podcast monetization, because the vast majority of people who do podcasts do it on a very small scale. And so, you know, we still haven't even figured out how to properly monetize podcasts. And so when people from the industry like us say it's very important that artists get paid if you're going to use their music in your podcast, that falls on deaf ears when you're talking to a 25-year-old who does his or her podcast for free in their room. You know, there's no money coming in, therefore no money going out. It's just an interesting conundrum.
3: But very importantly, Portia, very important to note that if they upload that to Spotify, there are serious monetization aspects included. And very important is is that increasingly Spotify... Pool of money is being divided away from music and towards podcasts that have no licensable music inside of them, and therefore it, there's no money for us in that scenario.
0: Removing money from the pie from us, right?
3: Yes. In other words, if we look at Spotify as a music service that has a pool of money, 70 cents out of every dollar going into it for content, podcasts now compete for that pool. Right. And that means less money for us, and we need to be concerned about losing the time and attention. I mean, you know my my view of these things is that our enemies are not so much pirates as they are other ways to spend your money and other ways to spend your time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only so much time on the clock and only so much money in your wallet, and we are engaged in the competition for that. So, as regards the time on the clock, it's increasingly going towards podcasts, and because it's hard to license music into them, we're not there, not there to get that money and watching that money go elsewhere. And apparently, it's close to a billion dollars in this coming year, which is the sum total of sound exchange of cash, right. and growing exponentially every year. Right. And again, we're talking about future of what? What happens when the next medium comes down the line? Right. Are we? Right. Is there any evidence that we're ready to license that, that we've learned anything from podcasting such that we will move with alacrity and agility to license the next new medium?
0: Nope. <laughs> I think that's the answer there.
3: So these are my concerns. I think we need to do this, if only as an exercise, to figure out how to do this on an ongoing basis because these new mediums come increasingly quicker, exponentially faster, and our ability to respond is more and more difficult, not to mention that there's the explosion of content and we're not as organized around that as we once were. I think the right phrase would be to say, Portia, that podcasting is proof That creativity is moving from the center of the network out towards its edge, and that increasingly our efforts at monetization and licensing and monitoring and so forth need to be suited to the edge of the network.
0: Rather than just the center.
3: Yes, I I think it's critical because... That's where the growth is coming. You know, there was a time when I think we could both agree that if you were looking to license, you would go to the radio transmitter's location or the cable head end or somebody in an office in a big building. But increasingly, podcasts don't come from offices in big buildings, although some of them do. New York Times has great podcasts. Clearly, Spotify now is bringing in podcasts and so forth. But this creativity arose from the edge of the network. And that is an environment that we need to learn to master because it is the source of creativity on an ongoing basis.
0: Well, I think that that sort of sums it up. So, on that note, Jim Griffin, thank you so much for being with me today on the future of what?
3: I thank you for having me.
0: was No Scars by Bangs. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Gabe Fleet. Gabe, welcome to The Future of What.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on. So today we are talking about licensing music for podcasts. And I think That this is a really important topic because everybody and their brother has a podcast and their cat and their dog. Right. And usually they're fish. So (laughs) it's everybody's doing it. And I think this is one of those things that happens often in the music business where the technology kind of outstrips people's ability to make decisions beforehand. So there's a lot of catch up. You know, we're playing catch up in the music industry again. Right which is normal. We do that a lot. But, you know, in this case, I think it's pretty important because it's important for artists to get paid. And I think everybody's on the same page that it's important for artists to get paid. But it does make it difficult because podcasting is sort of like the Wild West.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Wild West description is exactly right. I mean, I think what's been interesting is when we got into working in this area, which, which we do a lot on behalf of producers or more often platforms, or brands who are commissioning podcasts. You know, we came to it usually working from some of the larger companies, like some of the some of the big platforms or some of the big brands that are producing things or agencies doing things on behalf of a brand. You've been coming to it from an environment that's already out there, right? There's all, a lot of podcasts being made and and then we're getting engaged to sort of walk into that existing landscape. And I was sort of shocked by, by the looseness of clearances from a legal standpoint, right? I mean, people don't get parents' releases signed. People don't get music licenses. I mean, it's just, it really is sort of a wild west. It's still this kind of DIY ethos, which I think is sort of now in tension with, you know, what you've seen in the past year, which is a ton of real investment coming into the podcast space, real money being spent on shows, particularly the sort of exclusive shows that are being commissioned. And, you know, there's a tension there, I think, between doing things sort of correctly from a legal standpoint, and then the sort of culture of just flying by the seat of your pants, and then the risk tolerance or or nervousness of the folks who are putting the money up to underwrite the new content. So that's kind of an interesting tension, I think, that we're seeing people sort through, and and we're not really yet, I think, at a place where that's resolved itself.
0: Absolutely, and I think it does. I think you're right that it's sort of a tension between culture and what we know is right, right? Because it sort of stands to reason that if a company has money, if a podcasting, let's say, network that's you know got six or ten podcasts on it has investment and has money that some of that money should be spent just like you would if you were, you know, doing a movie or a TV commercial on licensing the music that you use in the podcasts. Like that's a pretty much a no-brainer. But, you know, when you think about podcasts that make money, we're talking about like 0.1% of like all podcasts. Right. <laughs> it's it's not exactly the norm.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, what's interesting though is I mean, you know, there's there's a number of the major Platforms and some new folks some existing folks, some of the some of the larger companies who've come in, and and particularly are commissioning some of the exclusive stuff. And and of course, without getting into any of the details, those budgets are, in some instances, very akin to, you know, a TV show. Right. I mean, there's real money, right? And right. So, and the idea that you would commission something for television or an OTT platform or something like that, and not clear music or not get location releases or not get appearance releases or any other things, people will just laugh at you. I mean, they're not going to do that. But in the podcast world... I think the initial conversations we'd had with producers, like folks who were actually making a show was, well, that, that's just not how we do it in this way. <laughs> and you're like, well, listen, if you want to get paid like this is the real business, and you got to act like it's the real business. Like you, you can't have it both ways. Right. And so I think that's been the sort of tension of the conversation. And, and I think the industry is shifting. And I think you know what you would expect in a high-budget show that's being commissioned from a large platform is different than what you would expect from, you know, somebody who just loves it and makes something out of their basement out of just the passion of the subject matter. I mean, they're, they're not the same thing, right? but anyway, I, I think the industry is evolving quickly. And so trying to keep up with that from a legal standpoint is, is a real challenge.
0: Definitely. Now I've heard floated an idea that there could be at some point down the road, like a statutory license for podcasting, which would sort of, maybe fit the bill a little bit better than the idea of every single podcast doing these micro licenses. I have a podcast in my basement. I make no money at all. We have no advertisers. You know, we have 25 listeners, but I'm going to use 38 seconds of a Who song. Right. So I'm going to pay them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I, I think that's actually quite an interesting concept for the podcast marketplace. What do you think about that?
1: I think there's a real opportunity there. You know, I think that When you go to clear music for a podcast, it's really in, from a process standpoint, no different, not materially different than clearing music for TV or film, right? You, you go to the publishers and the label and you, you know, you request a license and send them a quote request and they have to go back to the artist and the writer for approval. And it's that same, you know, song by song, use by use very resource intensive inefficient process that people have done for years for tv and film but the contrast to that is the budgets are not nearly as high for as they are for tv and film and 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 so it's just i don't understand why it's so inefficient for you know a license for a few grand for a couple of years in a podcast i mean it's different if you're going to use something with million for a million dollars for a major motion picture. But it's the same process. It's just the numbers are smaller. So it, the juice is not worth the squeeze, right? It, it just doesn't make sense. So I know that there are some initiatives. There's this sort of sound exchange kind of venture that they've been working on that would allow for a library of pre-cleared music that you could go to where all those approvals are already obtained. I'm understanding... Is that some of it would be comprised of of either even like major label, major publisher stuff, like really sort of you know it's not just sort of generic production music. There would be real music that has commercial value, but the artists and the writers felt comfortable giving this sort of approval in advance, and you know that would provide I think a lot of efficiency for the podcaster. You know, if the artist and the writer are okay with it, then and that obviously you know sort of alleviates concerns about creative controls, everybody gets paid, right? Like, I, th- I think those kind of things and those kind of initiatives, be them statutory or be it something that people just get together and do, have a great opportunity for everybody, right? Because the problem is, what happens if you don't have that efficiency is then people just don't get licensed, right. right? And then the artist doesn't get paid, the writer doesn't get paid, the label doesn't get paid, publisher doesn't get paid, infringement happens. Sure, you can go after the alleged infringer but like they don't have any money either because if they did they'd have done it right the first time so like no one wins in that outcome my perspective
0: so now with this sound exchange model of sort of a blanket approved podcast music library thing would that have a royalty attached to it
1: That's my understanding, man. I think all of this is still very much in beta and development. I'm just sort of hearing conversations throughout the industry and people that are working on it. But yeah, that would be my understanding is that, yes, there would definitely be a royalty attached. I'm not sure if it's going to be negotiated on each instance or if it's kind of prefab from the get-go. I think that remains to be seen. But yeah, the expectation would be definitely that you would have to pay. I mean, I think the first challenge is awareness. Right. Right. And the idea that, like, oh, I didn't know I needed to do that or I thought if I used less than 30 seconds I didn't have to which is just everyone should know that's not a thing like <laughs> this idea that if you use less than 30 seconds you don't know, have I'm not giving legal advice here but I'm just I promise you that's not a real rule right so the first is awareness but I think after awareness it's not the money for the fees it's the process right I don't know who to go to I don't know how to hire to get there there's I don't know who the publishers are. Oh, my God, there's 10 of them. Right. I can't go to everybody. And then you just decide to run the risk right. of not getting a license.
0: Sound Exchange is a sponsor of this program, and I love what they do. I think that's a really cool place for them to go with this, because since they do have such a massive master side database, that's genius. I'm wondering if there's also room for a commercial solution. You know, there's some new products in the marketplace, like there's this company called TrackLib. I don't know if you're familiar with them but they are a sampling. You can go there and get pre-cleared samples to use in your hip-hop or whatever type of music you're creating. Right. And they have like three different tiers. So for like 50 bucks, you can use all the pre-cleared samples you want or something. I, I mean, I'm not 100% sure of exactly the details, but it's really reasonable. And then if you're a bigger artist, you know, there's a bigger fee. But I just think that that's, like, that would be a great solution.
1: I agree. I mean, I don't really have a dog in the fight or sort of firm opinion at this point about whether it's sort of a more quasi-governmental sound exchange thing, or if it's a commercial solution or whatever. I I think all of those things provide, in different respects, the same kind of benefit, which is you can eat everything on this buffet. You may not have everything you want on the buffet, but like everything that's on the buffet you can have, and here's a price for it or whatnot. I mean, you know, I know a number of our clients go to, production music libraries, the kind of, you know, jingle punks and epidemic sounds and and those kind of people to fill those gaps too. I mean, I think that for podcasts, there are certain uses that require a specific song, but from my perspective, like on the creative side, For the most part, it's not like film as much, right? It's not about like, I need that perfect song for that perfect moment to have this sort of transcendent creative experience. A lot of times you just need some transitions or a little bit of background or or whatever, in which case I think for a lot of people, that kind of production music ends up serving most of their needs and eliminates, you know, how often you need to go, you know, license some new huge hit.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I'm thinking about people in their basement doing this. And I think even those people figure out pretty quickly that if you put a Beyonce song in your podcast, somebody is going to call you. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, a, that's right. it's not the wisest move.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. And 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 I think the flip side of that is you know, I mean, listen, Beyonce provides value and, and wonder to everything in which she's affiliated. But for the most part, it, it didn't have to be that song, right? Like, to, in order to accomplish creatively as a producer what you wanted, it may just been like, you just liked that song. But if you knew that that song was a million dollars, but you could go pay something that's fractions and fractions and fractions of that have access to this whole production music library that would, like, probably get you pretty close from a creative standpoint, like, that's just a better... Option and then again, it all happens lawfully. Everybody's paid. Like it's just that's just a better way for it to work. I think it's really more about starting with education and knowing that turns out you actually have to, to license this stuff for podcasts.
0: Yeah. Do you want to just talk for one more second about the under thirty second thing because you know that is like really out there in the culture. This notion of like it's fair use, you know, and I can use anything I want for less than thirty seconds was that just created out of whole cloth? Like, where did that come from?
1: <laughs> I mean, so a couple of disclaimers, one of which I probably should have said at the top of the call, which is like, these opinions are my opinions, right? They're not the opinions of Greenberg, my law firm, or any of our clients specifically. And, and I'm not giving legal advice here. So having checked the boxes on both of those fronts, that one has always been funny to me. I think it took hold maybe in the advertising world. I, I think people just got a hold of this idea that if it's less than 30 seconds or sometimes I hear it's less than nine seconds. I don't know where that one came from. Somebody told me once it's less than nine notes because there's some case law like in that one case.
2: What?
1: Yeah, it was a, like a Beastie Boys sampling case. And then, or maybe it was seven notes. I can't remember. It was seven or nine. It was a flute riff. And in that case, that use was okay. But things like fair use and whatnot are incredibly context specific, right? And they're very driven by the facts of that case, you know, some of us would say they're kind of results oriented, like in terms of just judges and juries trying to get to what feels like the right results, Setting right. aside what the law is. It's just a very, there's these four factors and it's very fuzzy. And so, you know, starting to rely, I think we always tell people, if on the front end, you're starting to think about fair use with music, you're kind of starting from the wrong place, right? I mean, that's fair. used to something that it's nice to think about after the fact if something happens and whether you can avail yourself of that. But I mean, I'm coming from the perspective of a transactional lawyer. So I'm always like, let's do a deal. Right. But I, I think that that's certainly the safest bet. And, and I don't know where that 30-second thing got hold, but it is definitely not the law. <laughs> and, and, and there are a lot of cases and active non-reported cases, but just things like on my desk today, where publishers and labels are coming after brands or music users or you know digital services or whatever for use of things that are not nearly thirty seconds long.
0: Okay, and you know that I, we don't want to go down that road because that would get us into the whole like blurred lines lawsuit debate, and you know, can you copyright a vibe, et cetera? We don't want to go there for sure. That's another episode. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Gabe Fleet, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What?
1: Happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: That was The Saltine Coast by Boats. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. Also, check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's Potty Mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Tom Mullen.
4: Tom, welcome to The Future of What. Oh, I'm so excited to be at The Future. Please tell me I have a (laughs) raise. (laughs)
0: I don't know. I can't see that. Damn it. (laughs) My crystal ball is not that good.
4: All right. I wish. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so glad to have you. Yes, you're also a podcaster, which is important for this episode for people to know. Yes. How long have you been doing your own
4: podcast? It's coming up on nine years. Whoa. Yeah, kind of crazy. I just passed a million plays on the podcast a couple weeks ago, which was really nice. So yeah, I've been doing the Washed Up Emo podcast for almost nine years and been getting to interview people that, when I started, didn't have a voice and there weren't many podcasts and now there's lots of podcasts and lots of voices. So I'm happy that I got in early and it's just been a real fun to tell the story of these artists that I loved, but also new artists and artists from Things that maybe I didn't pay attention to or wasn't able to. So I'm kind of getting to relive my childhood while progressing bands that I love today. It's been a really fun thing that I do. And then been able to do so many offshoots from it and meet people because of it. So it's another life that people don't realize I have a day job. So... (laughs) And just to do the little plug, it's the
0: Washed Up Emo podcast.
4: Yes, I've been doing it myself. Everything from booking to every part of it, I want to be a part of it and I want to do it and it feels that way where I don't want to have someone edit it. I don't want to have somebody do it. I have other things to fulfill that. This is sort of mine that I'm doing on my own. So I I feel sometimes it's overwhelming at like one o'clock in the morning when I'm trying to finish something, but also editing and having an artist reach out to you that you're obsessed with and say, hey, thank you so much for making me sound smart. You took out every um, ah, and pause. And I was like, yeah, that's that's what I wanted. (laughs) That is amazing.
0: I have to say, from a podcasting perspective, that is incredible that you do all that work yourself. How often do you put them out? I try every other week. Wow. Okay. Well, you get a gold star because that is a lot of work.
4: (laughs) (laughs) The thing I, I, but also to, you know, this too, from doing a podcast for a long time, doing one for a minute, like I've gotten really good at looking at a waveform and realizing that's a cough or that, that tick that that person's saying every time before they speak, I can take that out really quickly. Or realizing that the cadence of this phrase works really well with this cadence on this other phrase, and you don't need to hear me talk at all. Wow! And I'm almost doing it while I'm doing the interview. I'm editing while I'm like, okay, well, at 1302, that was a really cool (laughs) moment, or I want to make sure that that's at the beginning. I'm doing it while I'm doing the interview. And I think as a listener, I'm thinking about that. I want to be someone that I've got the kids in the car or I'm on a bike ride and I'm listening and I just want to make sure that I keep them. I want to keep them engaged. So that's been my motivation behind it. I feel like that's part of the success and that's why people like it because I've been able to do that and everyone has an opinion, but I think that's worked for me and I want to feel connected to it. I don't want to feel disconnected from the production or the creation of these.
0: I got it, which is admirable. (laughs) I'm very impressed. And you also have another job. So this topic of licensing music for podcasts is useful to discuss for both of your jobs, you know, working in Atlantic and then also having your own podcast. So do you want to give us just an overview, especially since you've been doing it for nine years? So things have probably evolved quite a bit in terms of licensing music over that time for podcasts.
4: Right. I mean, before nothing was said. And you just did whatever and there were shows on iTunes and when it was called iTunes or Apple Music that was just music shows and people just putting up music and slowly, I think people were realizing that that's not what we need to be doing and music is music and podcast is different. And I've seen, I mean, for mine, it's asking like, hey, you know, are you cool with us using this? We're going to use a little clip and we're promoting you. We're sending people to your Spotify playlist. We're sending people to your website. And you know, nine times out of 10, they're cool with it. And for us, I don't do any ads on my show. So I'm also sort of trying to skirt where like, I'm not even making money. This is all promotional. So from the personal side, that's how the approach has been. And then on the Atlantic side, what's really interesting, I think you mentioned this in our emails back and forth about the panel that I was on. No one's figured it out yet. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we're at a point where this is the rule. This is how everything needs to go because I don't know if the labels have figured it out. The publishing companies have figured it out. And I think right now it's still for us. We're really, really careful less than 30 seconds mentioning it. Like just again, not just using a song to use a song. It has to be the artist that we're using. And that's been the approach. And again, we're ready to change. If there's a sweeping change tomorrow, I have all the DAW files for work, and we can update those and change based on what that new thing is. But for now, it's still a huge wild west with how these things are approached.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about it because you look at these huge companies like Spotify are just going really deep into podcasting, you know, purchasing podcasting networks and creating new stuff to promote podcasts on Spotify and, and other services are also doing a similar thing. So it's like people have really gotten into podcasting before podcast monetization has actually reached a standard level, which I just think is really,
4: really interesting. Right. I'm fascinated that no one's really kind of like stopped and been like, okay, everybody, let's, it's everyone's just kind of still running and it feels like when the iPod came out and no one really wanted to deal with it or came when Napster, no one really wanted to deal with it. At some point, everyone's going to have to deal with this. I think this isn't just music. This is film. This is books. And anybody that's repeating things or using clips, this is part of it. And maybe it turns into where YouTube, where it's got the content ID system, where it just it just knows that this show used X, Y, and Z. And I think that's coming. I think I'm really diligent about what songs are used, and actually not a lot. I really force the folks that we're working with to try not to. This is a podcast. This is not a music show. You can send someone to a playlist right after. That's what's going to happen. When people watch Chernobyl, the TV show on HBO, what did they do? They searched online to find more information. That was that podcast. So it's not like the podcast took away from the show or the show. like it worked in tandem. So I think when that thought process is used, we can really start to utilize this even more. So I'm hopeful that that's coming and there's gonna be more of a standard and everybody will be on this sort of playing field. Cause right now I think everybody's, everyone's trying to figure it out still. I don't think anybody's malicious. I don't think anybody's trying to not do something. It's just like, hey, does this work? Cool. Hey, what about this? So I'm hoping that that's where we're going, where everyone's sort of feeling like that. My only hesitation is that these bigger companies, you know, the Conan O'Briens, all these people kind of come in and, oh, podcasting, I'm going to come in and do this. And it's not the same sort of DIY mentality that I think it came up in. And maybe that's my upbringing anyway, that I have a a hesitancy to that. But that's kind of what's happening.
0: You know, it is interesting because it's kind of like the music industry's history has always been this way, right? Technology outstrips what's going on in the industry, and then the industry kind of has to play catch up. And then at some point in the future, sort of the worst case scenario for smaller podcasts is that, you know, some industry standard will be reached, at which point all these podcasts that have been not monetizing will suddenly be like, you're bad because you're not paying artists and this is the standard. And if you don't get with this program, you know, you're out of business. And it's really funny because, you know, of course, the business model for free is free. Right? <laughs> I mean, there's <laughs> if you're not making money on your podcast, there's no way you can share that money with artists. But you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like that is the potential downside to this is that at some point in the future, because artists, of course, should get compensated for their work. And we all agree with that. I mean, most of us in the business, you know, want artists to do well. I think, for example, my podcast, you know, we've just exclusively used Kill Rockstar's music and ask the artist's permission. Right. But that's, you know, that's music that technically we actually control. So, you know, we can certainly do that and we have not, you know, stepped outside of those boundaries unless we've spoken to an artist or a different label that was on the show and wanted to have some music included, in which case they gave us permission. right? But yeah, it's it's difficult to monetize something when you're not making any money. And when, like you said, the Conan O'Briens or whoever come into this or the, you know, the big networks that that show up, those people have money. So of course they should be paying for their music. That makes perfect sense.
4: Yeah. No one's like called the town meeting or called the, you know, the, (laughs) all right, everybody. We haven't all gotten together
0: in a room. Yeah, we haven't all gotten
4: together in a room. and, And I think while everyone's figuring it out, I think it's okay to experiment. It's okay to try. It's okay to ask. It's okay to experiment. And... For us, you know, myself personally with my show and with the stuff at Atlantic is to make sure that we're ready when that happens. And if something is changed, like we're ready to adjust and make sure that it is compliant or it is making sure that everything's fine with how this is going to go. And it's a keep going forward, keep experimenting, keep trying. Experiment with artists, but then also, look, if something happens in a year from now, and we're, we're talking again, we are in that room, and everyone's like, okay, here's the deal. Then I'm ready. I can actually do that quickly. That's not a huge issue. And so I'm excited for it to kind of get to that point, and everybody's doing that. But right now, it's just, it's all over the place while everybody's figuring it out, which I feel like is par for the course.
0: Totally. You know, it makes some amount of difference a whether you you are making any money on your podcast or not because like I said you can't share money that you don't have except there is this other argument of you know artists should be compensated no matter what which of course would get in the way with of 99% of podcasts right but you know there's also the notion that this is a license and we can treat these like licenses which I think a lot of people are taking seriously it's just a very
4: small license that's the other piece I thought was funny, is they were treating it like a blockbuster film. Right, um, right. Some of the and I was like, wait a minute, like this is a very small show. Or the, I'm just you know speaking generally, like if, if this is a money grab, I don't really know if this is the one. I understand why, and I understand the hoops that they need to go through to do that. I don't know if you remember that point in the panel where I just kind of sat out loud. I'm like. Well, we've been talking about this and no one's figured it out. So we're asking for like a solution when we haven't figured it out. Right. And I thought that was all right to say because I just, I don't know. We were talking in circles. There was no real goal, it seemed, or if someone had figured it out. Everybody had their own agenda. And I just don't know if it's there yet, but it will happen. Right.
0: And also, I think I would like to just point out that there's a difference in podcasts too, because a podcast that's actually about something else not music is kind of different from a podcast that's about music you know because it's like especially if if you're getting listeners who love music to listen to your podcast like washed up emo you know obviously you have a very specific audience for that they want to hear certain type of music as well they're there to hear the music as well if you're if you're listening to a true crime podcast let's say you're not necessarily tuning in because you know what kind of music you're going to get and so maybe a, a show like that should pay for their music do you know what i mean
4: yeah, yeah. Like exa- that's the thing. I guess I'm so stuck in the music ones because everything I'm doing is music related. And that artist in that series or my, sh- my personal show, I'm featuring their music because I want someone to go listen to them after they hear the podcast. And exactly. Yeah. So if it seems like more one to one versus like, Oh, I just want to throw this random Justin Bieber song <laughs> at the end of exactly. this, which is happening. Like I actually am all for like a content ID. Like if. Apple or Spotify or all the other folks want to, you know, have that and they're able to sort of tag it. And I remember with college radio, we had those BMI lists that you would write out and, you know, it would be the public performance. And maybe there's something like that that happens and there's a level, but yeah, I just, (laughs) it's all over. It's so all over the place and it's been like this. (laughs) Right,
0: right, right. I mean, yeah. It's But that's, I mean, you know, I always say on this show that the music business is a patchwork of historical accidents. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a good description because that's kind of what happens, right? It's like, like I said, tech changes, the world changes, Napster, you know, file sharing, all these things happen. And then the industry kind of slowly catches up with it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's not ideal, it would be better if we got all our ducks in the row first, but it's also not the end of the world because we do often tend to eventually come to solutions that work for the industry. You know, I think one of the bugaboos that everyone in the business today is worried about is just the fragmentation of income streams. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be that artists had like two main income streams and that was pretty much it, you know, touring and record sales. And now we're talking about, you know, a hundred teeny weeny little streams from all over the place and it's just made it it's made the industry more complicated right like if you are an artist and this is your livelihood it is really hard to be passive in this environment right Right. to just lay back and be like oh maybe i'll make some money someday because i'm here to tell you you will be a barista forever if you have that attitude towards you know your business artists have to kind of wake up to the fact that they are businesses they are small businesses faster i think now than they used to. I think there was more wiggle room for laying around in the old days.
4: Right. I think <laughs> them thinking about, you know, they got a check from the CDs or they got a check from the merch and now there's all these other little things. It's kind of like when you get more complicated when your taxes. Yeah. And I kind of, when I jumped from TurboTax to an actual tax person. Right. And I realized that there's all these other things that I was missing and I needed to be, I can only imagine for, you know, music and royalties and all those things, like they need to be, on that, and yes, is podcasting part of that? And are there hundreds of shows? Yes, but also maybe five people listen to it. They're probably pod faded by now, if you if you know that term. What does that mean? You never heard
0: pod fading? No, what's pod fading?
4: Pod fading is when you do a couple shows, and you and your buddy are so awesome, and you're funny, and you put it up on Anchor, and then you stop. But you, it's still counted as a show. So it's called pod fading, meaning it's up on the platforms, but it hasn't had a show in months or never will.
0: You know, and what are people doing in that? It's like it's like this weird ghost ship that just floats in the ocean, but never goes anywhere.
4: (laughs) Right. But also, I think, again, this is no slight to anchor. I think it just because it was so easy through your phone. I think they were counting those as shows on their platform when in reality they may have done one or two or five and stopped and the majority weren't continuing because they realized how hard it was and so I think you know if someone says to you there's too many podcasts I tell them only a third of them have updated theirs right in the last like 60 days so no actually out of the 800,000 we're actually fine
0: like now that I'm thinking about these like ghost ship podcasts It's a cool environment in which we could have that content ID system that you were talking about. Because let's say these ghost podcasts that aren't adding new podcasts but are just hanging around. Let's say they have music in them. If there was a content ID web crawler or whatever, people would still get paid every time someone listened to one of those shows. Mm -hmm. Even though they're basically dead. So it could be like sort of a continuous source of income for, for artists, which is interesting.
4: Yeah, I think there's a lot of ones out there that maybe, you know, kind of like TikTok picking up songs. I can't believe I said TikTok. Uh, if TikTok picking up songs that are three to five years old and becoming big again. Like maybe there's something where people find these, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark like podcasts that are like actually really cool. And there's five episodes and it made sense and people hear that one song that they used. And may- maybe that happens. Yeah, Maybe not every time, but it's there. And I think the archivist in me would be happy that someone's hearing that artist's story or hearing that, and maybe they do go and listen to it or watch it on YouTube or subscribe to their email newsletter. I think there's other points that people can intersect with an artist and have it be meaningful. Like, what is the goal? And sometimes for an artist, it's email. Sometimes it's making sure they buy tickets for the tour or it is streaming. So I don't know. The archivist in me is, is always thinking like that will happen again.
0: Well, on that note, Tom Mullen is a VP at Atlantic Records, and you can also go and listen to his awesome podcast, Washed Up Emo. Tom, thanks for being with me today on The Future of What.
4: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard bangs, boats, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at thefutureofwhatshow.com and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Clark Buckner at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and is produced by Will Watts. I'm Portia Saban, President of the Music Business Association. See you next week.